Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 56 called Leah. On today's episode, I'm partnering with Circle Surrogacy. Circle is passionate about surrogacy and egg donation and helping people achieve their dreams of parenthood. Circle's team is made up of experienced surrogates, intended parents, and egg donors. In fact, about 40% of their staff has been parents, surrogates, or egg donors and has experienced IVF or adoption. This year, Circle will celebrate 25 years of making parenthood possible for heterosexual and LGBTQ individuals and couples. During that time, they've helped create more than 1,500 families and bring more than 2,000 babies into the world across the United States and across the globe. Circle is emotionally invested in every single journey and they partner with their surrogates, intended parents, and egg donors until they achieve success together. Their years of experience enable them to support their clients every step of the way and to navigate any bumps in the road with ease. You can learn more at circlesurrogacy.com or by emailing info at circlesurrogacy.com. Thanks, Circle. Okay, guys, so let me tell you about Leah. This is such a beautiful story, and it is a total tearjerker. I'm not going to lie. I really want her to tell it to you guys in her own words, so I'm not going to give you too many spoilers, but I will say that she's been through a lot, starting with being diagnosed as a teenager with PCOS, and then when she and her husband got married, they had a lot of ups and downs when it came to having a baby. So she and I met on the surrogacy advocacy day up in Albany. She did end up using a surrogate, actually two surrogates, which you'll hear about. And she does have a daughter now named Carolina. So she's going to tell us all about that. But I also did want to say that this was recorded before they changed the law in New York. So the Child Parent Security Act was actually reversed, which was great news since we recorded this. So I asked her to say a little something about that, and I'm going to read that right now. Okay, so after the episode and after the law was reversed, this is what Leah says. She says, I think it's amazing that surrogacy will be legal in New York State as of February of next year. It's long overdue. I hope the change will make it easier and more affordable for those that need to turn to surrogacy to start their families and for those who want to be surrogates but didn't pursue it in New York due to New York state law and to be able to give the gift of a child to a couple in need. So that's what she has to say about that. It was a huge success and we're all very happy that that has since changed. So kudos to Leah and all the people that were on the front lines fighting for that. And without further ado, this is Leah's infertility story. Good morning, Leah. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's Thank really great to be here. So I'll give a little background about us. Recently, you and I were both up in Albany lobbying for this surrogacy legislation, which is very near and dear to your heart, which you'll explain why as we get into your story. But so we did get to meet in person and that was really great. It was wonderful. Yeah. So thank you again for doing this. So let's start out with your relationship with your husband. So you tell me how you guys met. And I always like to start out with asking, you know, did you always know that you wanted to have children? 
funny. Um, the story of my husband and I meeting is a long story, but I will make it short. My husband is an artist and uh, he did a print for the Highline. And at the time, um, before we met, I worked um, at an office that overlooked the Highline and I wanted a new piece of art for my office. So it was my birthday and my brother said, what do you want? And I said, buy me this great piece of art from this artist, um, Michael DeFeo. And he's like, great, I will. And it arrived and I was like, oh, this is great. But if I'm going to frame it, I really want it to be signed. So I went onto the artist website and I emailed him. And at the time, I was actually running a um, New York's first ever street art walking tour company. Um, and I was giving, yep, I was giving walking tours. And whenever I met the artist, my tours became so much more interesting. So I was really interested in meeting him to learn more about him so my tours could be more interesting. And turns out he had just been on HGTV and I worked for the parent company. And he was like, well, maybe I can like do something here. So he replied and said, um, why don't we have a meeting? I was like, well, are you going to sign, you know, my artwork? <laughs> He's like, of course I will. And so um, he came in, we si signed my artwork. It became, you know, pretty clear that there was something between us. Uh, we ended that meeting with a drink and had dinner the next week. And we've been together ever since. So we actually wound up getting married on the Highline, um, and the Highline did a little story on us. So that was kind of it. Came kind of came full circle from That's buying so the artwork. Cool. I love getting that. married on the Highline. Yeah, it was in 2013, and yes, we um, we knew we wanted a kid. Um, my husband has um, a daughter, so I had a stepdaughter when we got married. She was eight years old, but we knew we wanted one of our own. And we thought we probably just wanted one since we also had my stepdaughter. But yeah, we always wanted one. We actually started trying pretty much right away. And I have PCOS, so I always knew it could be challenging for me to conceive. And sure enough, it was. So we started seeing a fertility doctor uh, about a year after we were married. Okay. So with the PCOS, when did you find out that you had that and how did it affect you like health-wise? I found out I had that as a teenager. My periods were super irregular and um, somewhat painful. And I was diagnosed in my teens um, and put on birth control to um, control it, which quite frankly, worked really well for me. So I guess I was just lucky in that I felt, you know, I hate to say it, but once I was on the birth control, it didn't really feel like it had a big impact on my life. Right. Um, it really became an issue again when I then went off the birth control and was trying mm -hmm. to get pregnant. Okay. So what happened after you saw, so you started seeing like an RE right away with your husband? Um, yeah, we went to a, a clinic, a fertility clinic um, in New York, and I found that to be a really difficult experience. We waited a long time to get an appointment, you know, went in there, spoke to the doctor. Uh, it felt very clinical, and I had a really tough time with our new, this particular New York kind of clinic experience um, going through the process. Uh, we went through three IUIs in order to get pregnant. And going through the process, honestly, it felt like a cattle call. It didn't feel very personal. It was quite stressful for me. I was working at a really big media organization at the time. I didn't feel comfortable disclosing to my boss what I was going through. Um, in terms of fertility treatments, there is an absolute bias in the workplace for women who want to become moms. And that's for real. And I felt that I was on a path in my career that might be impacted by my boss knowing that's what I was doing. So I didn't say anything. 
which made it super stressful, made it really stressful to, you know, um, go in for those morning appointments. Even though it was IUI, there was still quite a bit of time that I had to be there and had to get monitoring. We did get pregnant on our third IUI. Um, okay. I will say our second IUI, when we didn't get pregnant, I, um, I had told one woman on my team who I was very close to and I trusted, I told her what was going on so she could kind of look out for me. And, you know, if I wasn't in the office, kind of make excuses. And she was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember when our second IUI failed, I was actually um, in a meeting and my phone rang and I knew it was the nurse and I knew this was the call that I had been waiting for. So I excused myself from the meeting and this girl was in that meeting with me and she looked at me like, you know, a little thumbs up under the table. And I went out and the nurse said, you know, I'm sorry, you're, you're not pregnant. And I went back into the meeting and she just looked at me and I started crying yeah. and it was, you know, it was really unprofessional in a lot of ways, but was also real. And yeah. you know, the meeting came to a screeching halt. And I guess I was lucky that it was all women in that meeting. And yeah. they were like, what happened? And I wound up telling them. And that was one of the first moments I realized that, you know, we have to have better outlets for communicating this, especially in the workplace, because the level of stress and anxiety I had made it really, really challenging. Um, Such a good point. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I would have been able to go back into the meeting even. You know, it was, at the time it felt important. It felt like an important meeting. <laughs> right. So I did go back into it. And, you know, I'm, I'm also, I'm very dedicated to my work and very much, mm -hmm. you know, think I'm a superhero sometimes and can do everything. And obviously <laughs> I couldn't. Our third IUI resulted in our pregnancy. And okay. I, I mean, we were over the moon. We were so happy to this day that seeing that pregnancy test and seeing it positive was truly one of the best feeling moments of my life. Um, yeah. Just amazing. I remember I was, I still have the pregnancy test. I literally still have that positive test. Yeah. And I was like, come on. You know, it, it was um, the morning. I was like, let's take a picture. I was just so happy. And my pregnancy was amazing. And you know, my story goes on to talk about surrogacy and I know we'll get there. Um, but one of the things I feel really fortunate about was actually being able to carry because a lot, most women who go through surrogacy, um, go through it because they've had medical issues. Um, mm -hmm. not, not all, but the majority, um, they've had cancer, they have endometriosis, they have issues that mean they can't carry. Right. So I'm one of the few that went through surrogacy, but did get a chance to carry. And yeah. I, I'm so grateful for that. Um, I thought pregnancy was magical. I was so lucky. I felt really good throughout my pregnancy. I thought the 20 week ultrasound was like incredible. I stared at those pictures trying to figure out, we didn't know if our baby was a boy or a girl. So just, you know, what is it? And feeling our baby kick, all of that was really incredible. Um, yeah. Really incredible. Yeah. But our pregnancy ended tragically. Our, I, it, my uterus ruptured, which is really rare and really crazy. Yeah. I was 31 weeks. And the thing that I really want to kind of tell the listeners is during pregnancy and as you're going through all of these things, it's so important that we trust ourselves and we trust our own intuition and we advocate for ourselves. 
about 10 days before my uterus ruptured, I went to the doctor because I've been having this really strange pain. It was a pain that was in like the top right of my, um, like my belly. And it would get really intense after like, I was trying to be a really good pregnant woman. So I was like, you know, exercising and walking up and down the stairs and trying to be healthy. And after those bouts of exercise, it would become like a shooting pain. It was very strange. And I went to my doctor and my actual doctor wasn't available. So another doctor in the practice saw me and they said, they like just really dismissed me. They were like, you're getting big, of course. And I didn't feel like my baby was moving as much. They were like, yeah, you're getting bigger. Of course your baby isn't moving as much. And, you know, yeah, well, it's getting tighter. So maybe they're like pushing against that part of your body. And I was like, no, it really, it feels weird. It feels like, um, like it really felt just like a, I don't know, didn't feel like a normal pain. And they did like a cursory BPP ultrasound. They're like, you're fine. Mm -hmm. Sent me home. And then 10 days later, I happened to be working in Nyack. So I wasn't even in the city. And all of a sudden this pain came back in like the worst way. And um, I called my doctor's office and they said, the receptionist was like, oh, I'm sorry, no one's available right now. I was like, I'm 31 weeks. I was in, you know, last, a little while ago. I've got real yeah. pain. They're like, yeah, you're going to have to call back. Oh <laughs> I was like, God. great. Feeling so, completely brushed off. Yeah. I called, I called my coworker. I remember it was like 10 to three and we had a three o'clock meeting and I was like, look, I'm not going to make this meeting. Like, I just don't feel good. And he tracked me down and was like, what are you talking about? And he called his wife, who was a doula. And his wife was like, get her to the hospital now. And I was like, take me to NYU. And he's like, "Uh," and his wife said, no, absolutely not. You can't take her to NYU. You need to take her to the nearest hospital. And the nearest hospital was eight minutes away. And despite my, you know, wanting to go to NYU, he, which where I was supposed to deliver, uh-huh. he took me to the nearest hospital, which was eight minutes away. And, um, I, Nyack, which is not I was in Nyack, from, which not far, far from NYU. Yeah. Which is like an hour or so from NYU. Right. Um, but it was eight minutes from the nearest hospital. And when I got there, they had no idea what was wrong with me. They thought I was having an appendicitis and they were like, we think we need to do a C-section. We need to do it as soon as possible. Oh my and God. I was like, please wait. My husband's not here yet. Please wait. So I was kind of pushing them like, wait, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. And they pretty much did the C-section. Like the moment my husband, like he ran pretty much like in the room, gave me a kiss and they wheeled me into the ER. And it was horrible. The nurses said to me, okay, I need you to sit up for your epidural. And I looked at them and I was like, I can't sit up. Like I'm in so much pain. I was like, take my arms, um, take my arms and lift me. And then you can get, you know, to my back that way. And I put my arms out. And the last thing I remember, they tried to pull me up and everything went white and I completely passed out. Oh my God. And I later learned that's when they realized this wasn't an appendicitis, something else was going on. And my poor husband, they said to him, um, you can no longer cut. He was getting ready to like come in and be a part of the C-section. They said, you can't come in here. We're on a life-saving mission and you can't come into the ER. And then about 45 minutes later, my husband came into the room. He said there was puddles of blood all over and like bloody footprints all over. And I was there and, you know, he was looking over me when I woke up and I saw him and he looked really scared. And the doctor, he gave me a big kiss and said he loved me. And the doctor said, your baby didn't make it. And I said, right. They're in the NICU. Like, when do I get to meet my baby? 
They're like, well, your baby, you know, didn't, didn't make it. And I was like, well, where are they? And he said, well, you had a baby boy. And I just wasn't getting it. I wasn't understanding. And the doctor finally said, your baby died. We did everything we could, but he died. And I just, I, I, it was so hard to comprehend. And I was, it was horrible. And at that point I was on a lot of drugs, um, in a rupture, your organs start failing. So I was on a lot of drugs and a lot of pain went to the ICU. And that's where I was told later that, you know, what had happened that my uterus ruptured and that, um, my son was stillborn and kind of floating in my abdominal cavity when they opened me up. Um, I was super lucky to be alive. So lucky to be alive. And I was also lucky and remain grateful that that doctor didn't just remove my uterus. He put my uterus back inside me and I can never carry again. My uterus is not capable of carrying a baby, but I didn't get, you know, I didn't go into menopause. And for Mm -hmm. that, you know, I was really grateful. Um, Being in the hospital, I guess another thing for listeners to know is when you go through this, you just, you just, you have no, you don't expect this. When you go through a pregnancy, it's all, you know, you don't really think that this could ever happen. So at the hospital, the nurses said to us, do you want to meet your baby? And my husband and I were like, I I don't know, you know, and I was on morphine. (laughs) I was like, how about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? Can we meet our baby tomorrow? And they said, well, no, you have to meet your baby now. I was like, right now? They're like, well, yeah, because um, your baby goes to the morgue and then it becomes cold and hard and then you definitely can't meet them. Oh, I'm so sorry. So yeah, it was really so much to take in because again, like this isn't anything you're mentally prepared for. Yeah. Um, At our baby. And I remember he was so beautiful and looked so peaceful and... um, he had this little cleft chin, which my grandpa had, and it just, um, it was, it was really, um, he was really beautiful. And I just kept saying over and over again, I love you so much. And I'm so sorry. I love you. And I'm so, so sorry. I just kept saying it and it was Mm -hmm. really hard. And my husband said, do you think we should take a picture? And I was thinking, I don't know. It feels, feels like we should, but maybe it's creepy. Like, I just don't know. And he was like, let me take the picture. And if we never see it again, we never see it again, but maybe we should take it so we have it. And I was like, yeah, take it so we have it, take it. And to this day, I have that picture in a little mini picture frame and it's, you know, I carry it around with me. Um, It's Mm. so meaningful. And that's one of the things I wish the hospital staff had said to us, you know, take pictures. Um, Yes. And we'll get to the rest of my story, but there's um, an organization that I learned about afterwards called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. And um, they're great. Yeah, they send photographers, Mm -hmm. hospitals in these situations for free, and they take these beautiful remembrance portraits. So, you know, anyone who does have a stillbirth or does have a child that they know isn't going to make it, that Mm -hmm. is an amazing service that I wish hospitals told, you know, patients about that were in these situations. So did they tell you why your uterus had ruptured? What caused that? So, um, yes. Um, so I had had a surgery to remove fibroids about seven years prior. And when I got pregnant, I reminded my OB of that. And my OB checked with the surgeon. And this is kind of a longer story and one I'm not going to go into detail with on the podcast. But essentially, um, they said, you're fine. It's not a problem. You're totally fine. Okay. Uh, it turns out I wasn't fine at all. Turns out that that surgeon, rather than my, the surgeon essentially punctured a hole in my uterus and never told me. 
And a uterus that's cut and sewn back together in a C-section grows back really strong and is able to carry a pregnancy. A uterus that's punctured is like a balloon. And when it gets to a certain level, it will just explode. And that's what happened to me. And I was never told that by the surgeon. In fact, um, my OB didn't know because he never moved the records from the hospital over to his office. So when my OB checked in on it, it was never a part of my records. So that's- Did it say in your records that it had been punctured? Did not. um, But the doctor in the hospital when you know I was going through everything said to me, look, the only way this would happen to someone who hasn't been pregnant before is if your uterus is compromised in some way. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged me to go to the hospital where I had that surgery and get my records. And sure enough, in the operating room records and the post-op report, it's there clear as day. Oh yeah, that's what I meant was in the operating yep. record. It was in the so operating said, Okay. Never told to me. And it was wow. the do- the surgeon did not keep that in his own records at his office, which meant that my OB wasn't aware of it and I wasn't aware of it. Gotcha. I mean, nevertheless, I think again, for people who have maybe had uterine surgeries and are listening, um, the thing that should have been looked at for me is where my placenta attached because mm-hmm. it turns out my placenta attached over the same place where mm-hmm. that where my um, fibroid was, mm-hmm. and that should have been a risk that was known. And um, in situations like this, you know, if I were on bed rest and if that rupture was something they kind of anticipated, and if I were in a hospital when I ruptured, it would have been a very different outcome. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I'm so glad you shared that because you might be helping people. And you know, to advocate for themselves. And if they've had uterine surgery, maybe look into it. And that is a hundred percent why I wanted to go into that level of detail yeah. because I don't want anyone else to have to experience mm-hmm. what I experienced. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, but Thank your you. story continues. So tell My me story what continues. happened after that. Yeah. So I feel fortunate that I knew two women who are very close to me. One is my friend, Angela, who I've known since kindergarten. And one is my cousin-in-law, Liz, who I've known for years and years. Both of them are breast cancer, are cancer survivors and they had hysterectomies. And before their hysterectomies, they froze eggs mm-hmm. and they wound up starting their families through surrogacy. Mm-hmm. So I knew of surrogacy. Surrogacy was not unfamiliar. It wasn't uncommon. I had two people super close to me who had gone through it. In the hospital, the doctors never said to me like, oh, well, don't worry. You can still do surrogacy. He said, you know, you can never carry again. So as soon as I was kind of like still in the hospital, I actually called each of them and I said to them, I really need to know how to do this. Like, how can I still have a baby? I didn't want to believe that Losing my son, Christopher, was the end of my story. I wanted to, I needed to, I needed to have hope. I needed to understand how I could keep going. I spoke to each of them from the hospital and they shared their stories about surrogacy. And so I spoke to the doctor next time he came to my room and I said, can I make embryos? Like, am I, whatever happened to me, like, will I still be able to go through the process of IVF? And he said, yes, you can. And that was what I needed. I needed to hear that. I needed that hope. And so very soon thereafter, my rupture was in October. And (laughs) this is going to sound really a little bit on the crazy side. But in November, I met with the surrogacy agency. Mm -hmm. I just was so determined. And That's my not crazy. There's no crazy. In this <laughs> yeah. My husband and We've I did, all been there. <laughs> we did not 
want to give up. We didn't want to stop. We felt we were already like just so behind and starting, you know, our family. We were just upset about this. So we met with the agency and we actually met with two different agencies. We wound up going with an agency in Boston. And I know, as you know, really well, Ali, um, surrogacy is illegal in New York. So it makes it really, really challenging. So we went with an agency called Circle in Boston. um, Mm -hmm. And We, our New York clinic refused to see us because we were going to be doing surrogacy. They refused to treat us. Um, They said, we cannot speak to you anymore. And quite frankly, that became a blessing in disguise because we found this clinic in Connecticut, in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I could not believe how I was treated there. The doctors took so much time with me. They answered all of my questions. If I had a question, I could email them. I had a patient advocate who picked up the phone when I called, who called me back, who, you know, answered. I mean, it was like, even though I had to travel to Greenwich, Connecticut to go through Mm -hmm. this process of creating embryos, I I would have chosen it the first time around if I had known what a different experience it was going to be for me and how less stressful it was to Mm -hmm. feel like I had this supportive doctor and supportive patient advocate um, helping me. So um, my husband and I signed on with the surrogacy agency. We started IVF actually kind of pretty soon after everything happened. And we signed on with the agency that January. And it was, you know, we knew we were bringing a lot of anxiety to this pregnancy, you know, having our own loss. And when you go through surrogacy, you you write a letter to your future surrogate. And we, you know, wrote to them about what we were, you know, what our experience was and how we were so grateful that whoever this future surrogate was, was going to be um, willing to to help us and to carry our baby, but also that they needed to be like patient with us because we were going to have a hard time. So were you able to find a surrogate that was like simpatico with you guys that had kind of the same, was able to handle that? And She was amazing. It took us about four months to get matched with the surrogate. And we got matched with a woman named Catherine. Um, she's from Kentucky. And we got her letter. She has two kids of her own and she had carried once before. So she was a surrogate for a second time. Mm-hmm. And I think the agency matched us on purpose with somebody that was a second time surrogate, just kind of knowing that this might be a little bit hard for us emotionally. Right. She had an incredibly supportive husband as well as a supportive um, network. Her mom in particular was just a real, really proud of what she was doing and how she was helping people. And for us, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of requirements for what our surrogate needed to be. Um, we just wanted them to be healthy, able to carry, and we wanted them to have a support network. And she absolutely had that. And, you know, I remember getting on the first Skype call um, with her and her husband. We were so nervous. (laughs) Turns out they were so nervous too. And, you know, with the help of the agency, you have like really hard conversation, you know, um, going in and and having someone else carry your baby is really hard. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of those conversations. What were, how did we want the delivery to go? You know, what would happen if something went wrong? Um, just kind of talking through everything. And she was so open and so loving and so really wanting to do this for, you know, for us. And, you know, for her, this was not even a little bit about the money. It was all about helping somebody else. And she loved being pregnant. Pregnancy was something she found 
really beautiful. And that was, um, you know, she, and, and, and birth, she also found was like super beautiful. She wanted to have a doula and a really natural birth. And we were supportive, of course, of all of that. So yeah, we moved forward. Um, you know, she was the first surrogate we met and we felt she was amazing. And I yeah. think, um, I want to say 2% of the surrogates that apply to be surrogates with Circle actually become surrogates. So they're really, really cautious about how they screen people, kind of making sure that these women are, you know, um, amazing, really. Right. They really helped us just kind of understand what we were doing. Um, yeah. The pregnancy was wonderful. We did uh, they, they, How many embryos did you have? We only had one. Okay, we so had, they transferred yep. the one. And they transferred one. Um, well, before we even did the transfer, our surrogate came out to New York, um, but really to Connecticut to get um, screened. So they did like a medical screening and that was an opportunity for us to spend time with her and to really bond with her and her husband and show them where we lived and show them New York and right. you know get to really spend time with them. So um, we did that. It was really nice. And then she came out... Um, maybe about six weeks later, um, you know, after she had started on the meds and was ready to receive our embryo and she got pregnant with, uh, you know, on the first try and wow. we were so happy and so excited and the pregnancy was progressing wonderfully. Um, we spoke to her and her husband, um, on a weekly basis. We did weekly Skype calls with them, you know, really getting to know them and hearing about how the pregnancy was going. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that was important to us, um, because we were so nervous about this pregnancy was that we were able to um, FaceTime into her doctor's appointments. So we joined cool. all of her doctor's appointments via FaceTime. And she was so wonderful in trying to schedule those appointments like early in the morning so that we could join. It was really, really wonderful of her. That's so cool. Yeah, we did that. And then we went out to um, her hometown for the 20-week ultrasound. It was... The, the ultrasound itself was really great and, you know, the appointment went wonderfully. Everything was wonderful, but it was also an incredible to- opportunity to spend time with her. Um, she's really involved in her community. And I remember it was the fall and they had this, um, this harvest festival um, in her community and she was in charge of organizing it. And she invited my husband and I to go and my husband's an artist. And so we did this little arts and crafts projects where we were helping people create harvest crowns. And so we set this little table up and we were, you know, creating these harvest crowns and every, you know, people didn't know us. So they would come over and be like, wait, who are you? And every once in a while, Catherine would just come over with her big belly and be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm carrying their baby. And it was just something Uh she was so proud of and so excited to share. And it was just such a wonderful kind of moment for us and for all of us. Um, So everything was great until um, 29 weeks. I was in my office. It was early in the morning and I was waiting for the call from Catherine for an appointment Mm -hmm. and it wasn't coming in. And I was getting so nervous. And, you know, I remember calling my husband and saying, I don't get it. You know, not only is she not calling, but she's not texting because normally she would say still in the waiting room or, you know, waiting in the back. And I wasn't getting any updates. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, two hours later, uh, we got a phone. I got a phone call from a maternal fetal medicine doctor. She was seeing a midwife, so this was a doctor I had never spoken to. Mm-hmm. And this doctor said, um, "We have some really bad news. Mm-hmm. Your your baby had an irregular heartbeat during the ultrasound. There is a mass in your baby's body. We're not sure exactly where it is yet, but you need to get here immediately, as mm-hmm. soon as possible." 
And I, it just, my heart dropped and I was, it was like time stood still. I called my husband. I said, we, we have to get a flight now. I remember running out of my office to somebody on my team and saying, I have a family emergency. I'm going to be gone. And I actually hadn't told my team at work and I had a team of almost 20 people and I hadn't told any of them what I was going through because we hadn't yet passed that 31 week mark. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to say anything until after 31 weeks because I just, I I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could breathe until then. And so here we were, it was actually, I'm sorry, at that point it was 27 weeks. And so I just said, I have a family emergency and I just left. And my husband and I got the next flight we could to Kentucky and I cried the entire ride there. And I just couldn't believe this was happening to us again. And we were just trying to be positive and trying to, you know, think like, who knows, like maybe it's just, you know, something that can be fixed. Like, let's learn more. Let's just be positive about this. And we got to the hospital and we spent essentially two weeks in the hospital with our surrogate trying to save our baby trying to figure out, you know, what we could do to save her life. And what were they saying? What they discovered was it was something called a rhabdomyoma. It's a large growth that sometimes develops in babies' hearts, but usually develops in the last couple of weeks of pregnancy and actually um, usually isn't big enough to cause problems and usually resolves itself after the baby is born. This particular rhabdomyoma was enormous and it was taking over almost the entire left ventricle of our daughter's heart. Mm. Oh, we didn't know what we were having, but during this time in the hospital, we found out we were having a baby girl. And um, the problem was this growth was so big that it was causing her heart not to be able to pump blood to throughout her body. And so, you know, test after test, ultrasound after ultrasound, we just kept learning that, you know, fluid was building up around her brain, around her heart, around her lungs, and she just wasn't going to make it. Um, And it was just so hard. Um, In the beginning, we held out a lot of hope. We, you know, we named our daughter. Um, we named her Avelina. My husband's dad is from a town called Avellino in Italy, and we lost him um, a few years ago. And we named uh, our daughter after, in honor of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, set up the hospital room with little like tea light candles, and um, we had. Um, our surrogate had her doula, but we also got her like Reiki and all these other things to really just do everything we possibly could to make it a positive outcome. Um, but we couldn't, we, we, we weren't able to. Um, and at 29 weeks, our daughter was born via, um, C-section. Um, we knew we were only going to have a few hours or days with her and we arranged to have, now I lay me down to sleep, come. Um, so, you know, when her husband, my, our surrogate's husband was with her in the um, in the um, room when the C-section occurred, and then our daughter was brought to us in a separate room afterwards. And we had about two hours with her um, before she passed away. Um, and we, you know, played Sorry. her. No, it was just it was so hard. I guess maybe it was you know we knew what was going to happen. We knew the outcomes. We were prepared for that. I was so sad that my stepdaughter didn't get to meet 
her baby sister. Um, I was so sad that our parents and our family couldn't have spent some of those two hours with us. Um, But we were in Kentucky, they're in New York, you know, we, we couldn't do that. And that's, you know, one of the real downsides of the fact that surrogacy is illegal in New York. Um, We don't get to share these things with our family. Um, But, you know, we played beautiful music for her. We held her. We just kept telling her how much we loved her. Um, And we spent, yeah, two hours with her before she passed away. Um, It's really, really hard, really hard time for us. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Thank you. And it's it's good though that you had the photos, right? That you knew about now I lay me down to sleep at this point. So you probably have at least a collection of photos. We do, and I cherish them and I'm so grateful. And that photographer did a really great job of being there but not getting in the way of our time together. Mm-hmm. You know, he took a lot of really wonderful pictures and then he excused himself and let us have our time with her. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So hard. How do you? It was so hard. Um, and, and I'm sure the surrogate, you know, it was traumatic for her. And oh, like, horrible for her. And, you know, it's part of why I didn't want to, we didn't want to go back to New York right away. We wanted to make sure she was okay. Um, this was our loss, but it was very much her loss. Um, she did this for us. She did this to give us a baby. And, you know, she did give us a baby, um, but that baby, you know, didn't stay with us. And it was so hard for her. We stayed in Kentucky um, for a few days afterwards. We visited her at her home. We had dinner with her parents and some more of her family, um, just really expressing our appreciation and, you know, trying to be there to support her during this as well. And I know Um, that you're still very close with her. We are very close with her. She's amazing. Um, work took us out to um, Columbus, Ohio, which is about a four-hour drive for her um, last summer. And she drove up to Columbus to see us and spend the night with us and have dinner with us and meet our daughter, Carolina. And she said, you know, if Carolina wasn't here, I don't know that I could have done this. And, you know seen you guys and been so happy for you, but I'm so thrilled and so happy to, you know, be here with you. So we were able to spend some really great time with her and, you know, actually really talk a lot about what happened and how we all felt afterwards. And, um, it was really good to see her kind of great to be able to work through. Yeah. Really cathartic. She'll always be a part of our family and a part of our story. Right. So you, Carolina, obviously is your daughter now. So can we talk about you did use a second surrogate for her birth. Can we go into that a little bit, please? We did. You know, after, actually right after we lost Avelina, we were done. We were out of money and I was out of emotional, like, energy. I just, I didn't think I could do it again. Um, my husband and I were like, this is it. We're going to be that couple that travels the world. We're done. And about maybe like two months in, my husband turned to me and was like, this, this is not you. You are not yourself. And if we don't try one, I was 40 at this time. And he said, if we don't try one more time, we're always, we're going to look back 10 years from now and say, we should have tried one more time. Mm -hmm. And I was so lucky that at work, um, at my job at the time, 
we had both an IVF and a surrogacy benefit, which was kind of unheard of. Mm -hmm. Um, so we said, you know what? I said, you know what? It's not going to cost us anything. This is covered. Let's just try one more time. And that one more time turned into the embryo that is now Carolina. So, um, did you have one embryo again? We, we had one non-mosaic embryo that was highly rated. Mm -hmm. So, um, we, so yes. Um, and people that might not know what's a mosaic embryo, a mosaic embryo, and I might not be the best to describe it, but essentially we did genetic testing on our embryos because the chance of implantation is, um, much higher chance of success. And also because I'm 40 and, you know, older, and that's an important thing to do when you're older. Mm -hmm. Um, and my understanding as a mosaic is one that it's kind of an uncertain embryo, but, um, when they, when they pull out the cells to test for, genetics, they pull out the cells from what will ultimately become the placenta and they test those. What I understand is a mosaic is that maybe some of the cells might be from the placenta and from the actual embryo and might appear to be almost like a soccer ball and you've got, you know, some black and some white and therefore they come back as mosaic. Plenty of mosaic embryos become healthy children. Um, But big article um, in the Earth magazine. Yes. Yes. If anyone wants to look it up, it was really interesting. Once we had that embryo, we were like, oh my gosh, this is a sign. We have to figure this out. And, um, and our economics were super hard. We borrowed against our 401k. We had this benefit at work. And I have to say, the thing that made the difference for us in being able to afford it again was, and this kind of goes back to you know advocating or at least asking, I went back to our agency and I said, and they knew, I mean, really knew what was going on. In fact... Yeah, when we were in the hospital dealing with everything we were dealing with, it was their social workers that, I mean, they talked to us around the clock. They really helped us navigate that in such a big way. So they knew deep down what we had been through. And I called um, their president and I said, you know, um, what can you do for us? And he said, look, if you do this again, we'll waive all of our fees. You have to pay your surrogate. We're not giving you any discount on a surrogate. We're not giving you any discount on legal because that's just a pass along fee, but you will pay us nothing. Wow. And that was a significant expense and enormous um, savings for us. Mm -hmm. And I went to our IVF clinic, um, Greenwich Fertility, and at the same conversation, and they were able to work with us as well. So um, you can negotiate sometimes. You know, I didn't, the first time around, I didn't even think about it. The second time around, it was like out of desperation. We just wanted to do it so badly. And, you know, I knew that they knew our stories and understood how important this was to us. So, um, we were able to do that. And we did have help from family, which, you know, we we needed in order to make it work economically. So we decided to move forward with a second surrogacy journey. And we were matched with a surrogate from Utah, Marissa. And she was so, I mean, her and her husband just honestly really similar to our first surrogate in that they were so willing and, and so just had such a deep desire to help us. Um, Marissa had carried for one couple previously. So she had one surrogacy experience. She also had two kids of her own. Mm -hmm. And 
she loved pregnancy. Birth was super easy for her. I mean, she made birth look so easy. I was like amazed by her in the hospital. (laughs) But she, you know, they really wanted to do this for us. And they were very understanding of uh, a few things. So, you know, I said to them, look, I am not going to be able to breathe during this entire pregnancy. And Mm -hmm. you've got to understand where we're coming from. And they did. And we actually asked them, um, and this was really good that we had this conversation up front. We said to them, look, we don't necessarily want to talk every week because we have such high anxieties. We want you to know that, you know, we, we are supporting you and we want to know what's going on, but we'd rather talk like every other week. We'll text a lot, but we kind of want to talk every other week. And they were totally open to that. And I think because we set that up front, that was an understanding we had versus maybe as we went along, maybe they would have felt that was upsetting in some way. But we, I, I just, I needed to, in a sense, protect my, I don't know, maybe it sounds weird, but I needed to protect myself a little bit. No, I, I, don't think, I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, super nervous. So we moved forward and same thing, you know, Marissa and her husband came out to New York and we, you know, showed them our town and, you know, where we got married and, you know, took them to our favorite spots and did the medical screening. And then they came back for the transfer and we were super lucky and, you know, our one embryo worked and we were pregnant and the pregnancy went really smoothly. Again, we were at every appointment via FaceTime and she was totally flexible with us in terms of scheduling for when we were available. The doctor she worked with, they actually do a lot of um, surrogates in this particular doctor's office. So that was really interesting to me that they really, really knew kind of, um, they had it down, like a process down. And we went out for the 20-week ultrasound and they live in a beautiful, beautiful part of Utah. And we got to, you know, experience where they live and meet their families and their parents. And it's really wonderful. Um, Yeah. And I did tell this time actually at work, I, I did tell my boss what I was doing. And why, I was, why this time? Just because you had been through so much. and Yeah, we had been through so much. And I, part of it was I wanted to take advantage of that surrogacy benefit and that IVF benefit. So I actually had to disclose it to my boss right. and to right. HR um, in order to take advantage of that benefit. And my boss was incredibly supportive. Um, he said, you know, and because I had to, you know, again, go to Connecticut to go through IVF and right. take time off for when our surrogate was in town for the medical screening and for the transfer. And my boss was really supportive, but um, he actually said to me, you do whatever you need to make this successful and I'm behind you. And I knew I had his support, but he also said to me, don't say anything to anyone. You're on an executive track and, you know, this will impact your, your opportunities. Wow. Interesting. So it was, I felt very supported and I felt like I had that support, but I also felt like, gosh, like we need to do so much better in the workplace. And it's a big part of why I'm doing the work I'm doing now, because I believe we need to make, you know, real changes um, in the workplace around the support that we give people going through these things. My boss was great about saying, you know, working with me and saying like, sure, take a week of maternity leave before the baby arrives because we wanted to be out in 
in Utah and we wanted to be there for the birth. And again, that's something I was really lucky. And I was also, um, we had been monitoring our, you know, our surrogate had been going to the doctor to get monitored for how is it looking? You know, is she dilated? Is she having contractions? And she wasn't. But I know that, you know, some intended parents, they, they missed the birth of their baby because yeah. they're so, you know, being in New York, your surrogate can't be here and they're far away and you can't always get there in time. It was just so meaningful to be there for the birth. You know, our surrogate, we were in the room with her. So we kind of sat kind of behind her, um, you know, um, and we were able to be there and experience the whole thing. And she just, I mean, she made it look so easy. She was such a pro. She was so incredible about delivering. And, you know, my husband cut the cord. And when the baby was born, you know, I did skin to skin. And, Mm. you know, the hospital was so accommodating. They gave us rooms next to each other. So, um, we were, you know, able to go kind of back and forth with the baby and spend time with our surrogate and spend time just with our baby. And it was just so beautiful and so wonderful. Baby Carolina was born. Like so many other people in this community that I've talked to, you know, you're turning your experiences into a positive for other people and paying it forward. So tell me about Fly Bravely and how you came up with that, what it is and how it can benefit people that are in the same situation in terms of infertility or surrogacy, all that. Thank you. Yes. I think, you know, for my husband and I, when Carolina arrived, we, we had her in our room by ourselves and we looked down at her and we both almost at the same time said, I'm so glad we didn't give up. And, you know, we had a community of support around us. We had each other. We had really supportive families. Um, We had, you know, our agency and our clinic and everybody was cheering us on. And I knew these two women that went through surrogacy and I knew their stories and they were able to kind of give me that hope. But I think for so many people... the process is so overwhelming and you feel so alone. I remember when we had our stillbirth, I felt so alone. I felt like I was the only person that, you know, lost a baby to stillbirth. And that couldn't be, you know, further from the truth. There's 24,000 stillbirths a year in the United States. Um, Yeah. And you just, I didn't know that this community existed at all. I had my own community because I had my friend and my cousin who had been through this, and I feel very fortunate that I had that, but a lot of people don't. And I think that um, I, you know, after Carol, I was not brave enough or didn't have the strength really to tell my story before Carolina arrived. Mm -hmm. And I really admire the women out there who are telling their stories as they're going through this. To me, that's the bravest thing you can do. Yeah, um, I couldn't do it either until at least a year after Sunny was born. Yeah. Yes. And that's actually, it's funny. That was, um, for me, it was, um, Carolina was born in July and it was around August when I started feeling like my life has a bigger purpose. And I feel like I went through all of this um, and there is a reason why. And I'm meant to try to help people who are mm-hmm. struggling because I can see the absolute joy that having Carolina has brought me, you know, even in her, you know, biggest tantrum moments, um, I still am so grateful that she's here and I want to give that to other people. So I started this organization called Fly Bravely to help people feel supported. I am a coach. I'm certified as a life coach and I help people move forward. Mm -hmm. Moving forward after loss is so 
hard. Um, and you know, whether you're carrying that pregnancy or whether someone else is, it's, it's a really hard thing to do. And I also help couples get information around the surrogacy process. Mm -hmm. I think so much of it, it is hard to find information and so much of the information is found through agencies. And while they are definitely the number one places to get that information, it can feel biased sometimes because yeah. those are the same places that are looking to, you know, sign you up and take your money and all of that. So I've heard really amazing feedback about the work I do just in that it helps people feel like they have this unbiased, you know, understanding of how the process works. And a big, big part of what I am doing, um, and I should say what I want to do because I'm just starting and I'm just having conversations now, yeah. is try to make changes in the corporate world. Um, as a female executive, and I was you know, a VP at multiple different media organizations as mm -hmm. I navigated this, it was very difficult for me. It was added to the stress. It, I didn't feel I could disclose it. There weren't policies in place for leave, um, you know, after having a stillbirth and after having a C-section, I was back at work three weeks later. There's no, there's no maternity policy for stillbirth. You know, there's no rules around how much time you can take, you know, on the front end of a surrogacy journey so that you, or a surrogacy birth so that you can be there, right? And I think we need to do a better job of supporting people going going through this. And so it's really important to me to try, especially in New York, where um, as of January, IVF is now covered at large organizations of over 100. Right. Um, so another piece of legislation that people worked really hard to push through. Really hard and really important. And now opens this up to people that maybe couldn't afford it before. But mm -hmm. those might be the same people that are, you know, sitting at their desk at work, nervously wondering how they're going to get through, you know, a two or three week, you know, of cycling when, you know, they don't feel comfortable telling their boss and they don't have an outlet for having that conversation. The most amazing thing is when I just announced, you know, on my own kind of personal social media channels um, that this is what I was doing. What struck me and what I was so amazed by was how many people I started to hear from. These were people that I worked with, that I went to high school with, that I went to college with, that I knew, and that I actually had real relationships with, that I had no idea what difficulties they had gone through in right. having their family and starting their family. And it really brought to light to me the fact that these are topics that we do not talk about. These are things we do not share. And it's, you know, it, it's something that I, I know strikes a chord with so many people. And, you know, in terms of what I'm doing with Fly Bravely, I've, I've just had so much amazing feedback um, from my coaching clients just saying like, you know, it's just, it's so nice to have somebody who really understands and can help me move forward. And from the companies that I've just started talking to, but from those companies who are saying like, yes, this is actually really important to us. This is actually something that we think a lot about. And we're actually not really sure how to do this, but we right. really want to support our employees in this way. Like, yes, come in, let's have a conversation. Um, and I think it's about changing corporate policies, like leave policies. But I also think it's about bringing conversations, like, for example, having, you know, a Mother's Day panel that in your office place that talks about different paths to motherhood and how not 
you know, motherhood looks different for all different people and the grief that you go through and the, and the challenges. Um, I know a woman that I connected with recently who experienced a um, late term loss and she, she actually had to terminate for medical reasons, which is incredibly yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, and she went back to work and felt so unsupported by her boss and by her coworkers. Her coworkers just didn't know what to say. She actually quit her job and got a new job. She said she couldn't be in that environment. And so I think it's so powerful, not just for people who might be going through this, but for, you know, going back to the office. um, When I went back, you know, my team didn't know what to say. How do, what do they say to me? How do they talk about it? And, you know, I was very open with them. And so it kind of opened up the conversation, but what do you say, you know, and some people say things that are well-meaning like, Oh, you know, it was meant to be, or everything happens for a reason or God God must have known. And like, these things are well-meaning, but not helpful. (laughs) So helping give a vocabulary to coworkers, to bosses, to Absolutely. you know, others in the workplace, I think is really important as well. Okay, thank you guys so much for listening to Leah's story. And Leah, I cannot thank you enough for sharing that. I know that was probably tough at certain moments. So I really appreciate you going into all the details of everything you went through. And thank you for your advocacy and your self-advocacy and for doing what you're doing with Fly Bravely. So I want you guys to all go check out Fly Bravely, see what she's up to. And I will talk to you guys next time. Sending you all a lot of love. Thanks. Bye.